0: Mike Ash. I am the associate pastor here at the church. Some of you who know me, uh, I was a part of the church plant almost 10 years ago, nine and a half years ago. I moved down, threw myself on the back of Pastor Matt and Sarah's moving truck and said, hey, I was 21 and moved to a spring break town to start a church, which was great for me at 21. So that was the Lord. So I'm really excited about being here today and be able to speak to you guys. Uh, For some of you, you've been asking uh, about Pastor Matt's wife, and you've been following Pastor Matt on Twitter or on Facebook, and some of the updates on Pastor Matt's wife, Sarah, uh, who's been in the hospital for the last 10 days or so. And just so you know, she, it seems like everything's on the upswing. We know a lot of you have been praying for her and asking about her. If you go to Pastor Matt's blog, it's mattkelleronline.com. You can follow along with that, and we would just ask that you continue to pray for her through this process. They are asking that no one go up to visit, but definitely pray for her through this process. Leave comments on Pastor Matt's Facebook, just encouraging them through this time. And some of you guys don't know this about Sarah, is she works for the church, and she basically makes everything here better. She just is kind of that person who goes around and makes sure that everything is rocking. And she has, she was in the beginning and has remained, even till now, the hardest working person on the Next Level Church staff. So we're missing her around the church, but so we've just been praying for her and thinking about and we know so many of you have been asking, so we wanted to give you an update. And, and before we start today, I just want to pray for her. I just want us to pray for her that, that God would touch her body. Jesus, we ask uh, that you would touch her body. We pray for her as she's going through this time. God, we ask that you would, uh, the, this process as she go in the upswing, we pray that that would continue. And we ask God that you would heal her body. Lord, we pray for strength for Pastor Matt and their boys, and we pray for their family, that you give them strength and endurance during this time. God, we ask, that this would be all better and that you would touch her body in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Well, like Kyle said, we are in the middle of our weird series. Today starts part 5 of our weird series. And let me just say this, if you've come in the last 5 weeks for the first time, let me just let me just commend you. Because some of you before you came to this church, you thought church was weird. And then you came to a church in the middle of a weird series. Okay? That's dangerous. That's dangerous. I want I went to a church one time, and there was a lady on the front row, and it was, it was a little bit of a weird service, but there was a lady on the front row, and she had a plastic sword, and she was doing this. And I'm like, what is she doing? And I leaned over, I like, go, hey man, what is she doing? He goes, here's what, here's what he said, she's doing spiritual battle. And I go, with a plastic sword? Like, I didn't understand, I thought it was prayer, but I guess swords and all that stuff. So uh, that was weird. That was weird, right? I mean, those are some of those. So I just want to commend you guys for being here. The reason why we wanted to do this series is because uh, this is one of the series that's actually really surprised us. It's been one of those series that we found that so many of us are getting our lives changed, that are challenging us, that are challenging us to be different. And when we read the book by Craig Rochelle called Weird, that with the whole premise of normal isn't working, we thought, man, we got to talk about this at church. And the reason why we want to do this series is because so many of us have lived the normal life, what, it, what culture is called normal, and we've lived that life and we've realized that you know what? That's not working. And we have to be weird. We have to do something different. Today, we're going to talk about weird marriage. Um, we're going to talk about weird marriage. The reason why we want to talk about marriage today is because, honestly, marriage in our culture has kind of gotten a bad rap, hadn't it? Marriage is one of those things that is like a last resort. Like, you, it, it is a, your life's going to be over, If you do it, and why why get married if you can live together? And the divorce rates between 40 and 50%, well, why would I get married if there's half a chance I am going to get divorced? And marriage has this view on it in our culture. The normal view of marriage is it's not a good thing. It's something you do because you have to, you're forced into it, or you're tricked into it, right? That is the view of marriage. And the reason why we want to talk about it today is because we believe that in marriage, normal isn't working. And if you go by the normal standards, it isn't working. But we believe that God has this amazing plan for marriage. We think that God has designed marriage and he has this marriage that, or he has this this idea that if we could be in marriage the way he wanted marriage, we could have a relationship outside of his that would be better than any other relationship on the earth. That if we could have a, we could have a weird marriage, hold on, if we could have a weird marriage, if we could have a weird marriage, that, that our lives would be better. Every aspect of our lives would be better. Our jobs, even if you don't like your job, if your marriage is awesome, the job's easier to handle. And parenting, even though sometimes there's struggles, if the marriage is awesome, that gets a little bit easier. And every area of life is better when marriage is good. And so for us, a weird marriage is one of those things that we just think doing normal just is not working. Because if you live a normal marriage, you go through life, and 50% of the time you get divorced. So for us, we wanted to talk about what it is to have a weird marriage, because we believe that God wants us to have a weird marriage because he knows that it has the ability to be the most amazing relationship next to his that we can be a part of. So today, I want to give us six encouragements for marriage, six encouragements for marriage. Um, before I do that, though, let me give a couple of disclaimers to some of us who are here. Um, if your marriage is good, let me speak to those of you who, who your marriage is good, who you don't necessarily hear that we're talking about marriage, and you're like, I'm good. I don't need I to, I, you know what, I'm okay, and I appreciate this message, but I'm not sure this is going to apply to me, because my wife and I, or my husband and I, we're doing okay. Here's what I want to ask you. Approach this message as a tune-up. Listen for different areas that you can improve. Listen for the areas in your marriage that are good, but they're not great. And I would encourage you and I would encourage anyone who's married today to take the list of the six things that we're going to talk about today and take it on your next date night or take it on a conversation or maybe when you put the kids to bed tonight or put them down for a nap this afternoon and go through these six things and ask the question, how are we doing? What do we need to work on? Approach it is a tune-up. Approach it as a way to make it, to take it from good to great. Let me speak to those of you uh, who are here and some of you have walked in and you're about to give up on your marriage and it's about over. I think there's a chance that God has you here today because he wants to speak to you. That God has you here today because he has something to say to you. So the tendency in this stage of your marriage is to sit back and go, I can't believe they're talking about marriage, that's so stupid. You know, like that all, "I'm, I'm, I'm done with it. Here's what I would ask you listen with an open heart. Say, God, I'm open. If you want to speak to me, I'm open to it. For those of you who are single, let me speak to you and say this. Most likely, there's a good chance you're going to get married someday. So take notes. Take notes. These six things are strong. You're going to, you're going to want to look at some of these. And then if, if you were once married, but you're not married, you're not married now, and you're not even sure if you're going to, I think some of this can apply to you. But for those of you who do get married again, I think through some of the stuff that we talk about can be very good gauges so that your next marriage can potentially be better than the last one. So six encouragements for marriage today. Um, I'm going to talk through, what we're going to do is we're going to talk through some normal thoughts about marriage, and then we're going we're to do the alternate weird thought about marriage. The first one is normal says normal says wives you don't measure up. Normal says wives you don't measure up. In our society, in our culture today, with technology and everything on the TV and movies and the internet, there is the ability to have this false impression of what a wife is supposed to be like. A wife is supposed to look like, a wife is supposed to do, what her sex life is supposed to be like, all of the things of her life, there is this false impression of what a wife should be. And because of TV shows and movies and the internet, there is almost this thing built that says a wife should fit into this box, and the wives look and go, no one can do that. Because it is not attainable. And normal says, wives, you don't measure up. But weird says, husbands, love your wives so that she knows she is enough. Husbands, love your wives so that she knows that she is enough. In Ephesians chapter five, verses 25 through 27, it says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish because uh, but holy and blameless. So love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And when Christ loved the church, he made her holy and blameless without stain or any other blemish. That's the way we love our wives. And then he says this, in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. We have to love our wives' husbands in such a way that she feels like, just as Christ does the church, that she doesn't have a blemish. Our goal should be to love our wives in such a way and love her with such a passion, with such intentionality, to make the insecurity she may feel, the ways that she may feel like she doesn't live up, to make those things go away. And some of you go, well, I'm not sure that's ever going to happen. Maybe not. But our goal should be to love her so that she knows that she is enough. That she knows that she is enough. Our goal should be to show her such love. She never has to question that she is enough. And the way that we do that is to love her in the way that she experiences love in the greatest way. And, and, And as I was reading this, I was thinking about, When Leanne and I were first married, we read a book called *The Five Love Languages*. If you've not read that book and you're married, that is like there's an insight. It's such insight in that book. But it says there are five ways that people either give or receive love. There are five ways. The first is physical touch. Physical touch is holding hands, cuddling, you know, the other stuff you do when you're married. Physical touch. (laughs) The second is. Words of affirmation, telling them they're awesome, telling them they're doing a great job. The third one is acts of service, doing stuff for them, helping them out in certain things, doing things for them. The fourth one is giving gifts. It's when you give gifts, uh, you give gifts to someone, and, and that's, that's, that's gifts. Uh, the fifth one is quality time. It's spending time together, spending time together. So we went through this book when we were early in marriage, and, and w- when we went through it, we talked through what our love language, our primary love language was. And my two, the highest two for me, was physical touch and words of affirmation. Those are, that's it. I'll hug you in the foyer. I, I do that rather than high-five you. That's just the way I am. And I just, the words of affirmation, that's a big deal for me. And we found out that my wife's, Leanne, hers are acts of service and quality time. And the reason why this is so important and the reason why this is such a good insight is because I could just lavish her with physical touch and hugging and cuddling and other stuff. I could do that. in words of affirmation, I could tell her she's awesome. She's awesome. She's awesome. But the house is still going to be dirty. And the dishes still aren't going to be done. And she's going to go, you say you love me. You say I'm awesome. Come do the dishes. Right? That's what she's going to say. Because the way that I show her that I love her is different than the way that she receives love. So if I am going to love my wife, like I would want to be loved I would have to discover how she feels love and then do that the way that we love our wives is not to love them in the way that we show love but to love them in the way that they receive it best and so for me I hate doing the dishes but I'll do them because I know if I do them this is how she feels love and when I'm there I'll stand there and I'll do dishes and I'm like hey baby I'm doing the dishes. <laughs> it's because I love you. It's not because I want to. Because she'll think I'm just doing it because it's part of the chore. No. I, I will walk over laundry baskets. Okay? <laughs> she sets stuff in front of the stairs because she wants me to take it upstairs. And I'm like, why did she leave that there? God. <laughs> Can I tell? So you know you left something downstairs right in the... I mean, someone could fall. Someone could fall. Did you not see that? Especially when she was pregnant. Like, she'd leave heavy stuff. And I'm like, man... What is that doing there? I hope she did not run into that. She's pregnant. Just walk around it and do that. Cause that's not intuitive for me. If, if she's not home and I do the dishes, I'm like, hey, uh, did you notice anything in the kitchen? I don't know if you noticed. I fold a half, uh, a, half a basket of laundry, and I think I'm just a champion. Like I just, I'm like, I love you. I love you. I love you. Because if I'm going to love my wife in, in a way that she knows that she is enough, it's discovering how she receives love and then loving her in that way. Husbands, that's what we have to do. We have to discover how our wives receive love and then to show them love so that they know that they are enough. Weird marriages have marriages where the husbands love their wives as if they are enough. So husbands, let me ask you this. If we were to go today and I was to sit down with your wife and I were to ask her, how much love do you think that she would feel? How loved would she tell me that she is by you right now? And if we were to sit down how, how, on a scale of one to ten or one to five, how loved is she right now? That is a great question to ask your wife later on today, because that will help you to see where she's at, and it'll help you to figure out how you can do a better job. So, uh, husbands, weird says. Husbands love your wife, so she is enough. Number two, normal says. Normal says is a good one. Husbands, you're bumbling idiots. Husbands, you're a bumbling idiot. Um, and the reason why I, I, I put this is because we live in a culture that men are mostly either portrayed as idiots or fool, or are idiots or jerks. Those are like the two ways that men are, are portrayed. If you watch any comedies, think about this. In comedies, who watches The Office? Who watched The Office, anybody? Steve Carell and, and Dwight and Jim and all those guys? All the men on that show are bumbling idiots, right? I mean, everybody loves Raymond. It was the number one show for years and years and years. All the guys were idiots. All the women weren't. And so that's just the way it is. This is the way that normal culture is defining what men are. And let me just kind of give a, a side note. I didn't, I didn't even say this last night. Let me just say this. I think a lot of times that is actually causing men to disengage in general. I think because normal says that men are idiots, I think a lot of times men live up to the thing that they are portrayed as. And so I think in culture in general, I think that's happened uh, with men that, that men don't feel the need to be masculine. They don't feel the need to live up to something because people expect such little things about them. But normal says, husbands, you're a bumbling idiot. Um, but weird says, wives, respect your husbands. Wives, respect your husbands. I talked to the husbands. Now wives, I'm going to talk to you. I respect your husband's Ephesians, chapter five, verse 33. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, but then he says, "And the wife must respect her husband." The wife must respect her husband. The reason why it says that a wife must respect her husband is because respect is the thing in a man that either motivates him or demotivates him. Respect is a thing that moves him in certain directions. And men gravitate towards environments where they feel respected. They gravitate towards environments where they feel respected. And I think a lot of times the reason why husbands work 70 and 80 and 90 and 100-hour weeks is because they go to work and people tell them how awesome they are all day. And they come home and they're not respected. And they gravitate towards environments where they feel respected and away from environments that they feel disrespected. And so wives, we must respect our husbands. Have you ever been around a couple before where the wife, where, where you're in public and you're around a group of people and a wife will disrespect her husband? Have you ever been in that? She'll call him out. She'll sort of make fun of him around people. I don't know how wives respond, but I think men, I think it's the way we respond. Man, I'm glad I'm not married to her. You know, like that's a, that's a feeling because we all know what that feeling of being Disrespected is. We know that feeling. Like right now, I'm wearing a pink cowboy shirt, right? This is what a cowboy would wear, except it's pink, okay? You can all make fun of me all day long, but if my wife makes fun of me, it's different. If my wife makes fun of me, it's different. And wives, your voice to your husband is louder than everyone else. And if there's an environment where he needs to be respected, it's at home with you. There was a research done that said 7,000, done with 7,000 people, and 83% of the men said that during conflict, they felt disrespected. The feeling they felt was disrespect. 72% of the women said that they felt unloved. Men feel disrespected. Women feel love, unloved. Husbands, love your wife. Wives, respect your husbands. That's why, that's why it's in there. And, and for some of you, I know that there's this feeling of, well, my husband doesn't re- deserve respect. Let me just say this. Your husband will never be the man of your dreams if you continue to disrespect him. Never will happen. The only way that he even will possibly become all that you want him to be is through respect. And if you create an environment for him of respect. So wives, let me ask you this. If I was to sit down with your husband today and ask him how respected he feels by you, what would you say what would you say what's the answer he would give that is a great question to talk about later on today maybe at lunch maybe later is for husbands to ask your wives how loved do you feel and wives ask your husbands how respected do you feel and then talk through why if it's low talk through why that is if it's high talk through why that is because if you can learn how to show each other love show each other respect i'm telling you this changes the game and changes the dynamic in your marriage Number three. Number three: Normal says sex is an occasional convenience. Normal says sex is an occasional convenience. Um, normal says that sex happens when we both feel like it, when we have the time, when we have the energy, when the stars align, just right, you know? It's a, is it sex? Is, if sex isn't essential to marriage, it's just a bonus. Marriage is a companionship. Sex is this thing kind of off to the side. And it is just a bonus. Normal says sex is an occasional convenience, but weird says it's an intimate connection. It's an intimate connection. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, it says, That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become, say this word with me, one flesh. They become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. God's plans for sex and marriage is not necessarily just a physical release or an occasional convenience. It is to bring us close together with our spouse. The reason why God designed sex and called it in marriage is because he desires that in marriage it's you and your spouse and there would be a bond that would be so tight that it would be as if you're one. It would be that you're so close with that individual that it would make you, one, that no matter what friendship, what relationship, anything, even with parents, it would never be as close as you can achieve through marriage. And the reason why, and in the Bible it talks about if you're, before you're married, don't have sex, don't have premarital sex, I think the reason why it does is because if you have multiple sex partners, what happens is the intimacy that happens does not, it, what happens is it gets, it loses its potency, and eventually it just becomes a physical thing. And it's no longer an intimate connection. I know for Leanne and I, this is one of the things that that we've noticed is that if sex brings us close together, the further we get away from it, the less intimate we feel. And sex brings us back to center, we kind of move away. And here's what we found. When we move away, you know what happens? We fight and we feel off and we don't feel like we connect. Here's a here's the here's 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 filter um, that, that we use a little bit around our house. And wives, you might want to write this down. If I'm acting like a jerk, I'm either hungry or I'm tired or I need to have sex. Those are the, write those down. Those are good. Those are good. So if he ain't hungry and if he just woke up. <laughs> men are clapping right there. You are, you are the only person to solve that third need. Okay, okay, he can go to his bed, he can eat at McDonald's, but you're it. You're it for there. That's a good filter uh, that we know. Um, so, so it it is, that thing, it is that thing that draws us close together, that gives us the ability to be as one. And one of the best things that my wife and I have done is that we've judged uh, the, sort of the frequency of how much we have sex or, or through that process, not just by a physical need, but how off we are. And we decided if we get too far away, that's not good for us. And that just messes us up. And I think a lot of times, if you view this as an occasional convenience, what will happen is you'll start off and you're close. Then you'll drift apart. and As you drift apart, you fight. You argue. You don't feel like you're flying at the same pattern. You feel like things just don't work. You know what the last thing you want to do when you feel off is? Have sex. And especially, this is a big thing. If you get too far away, then it just becomes something that just has to be done as an occasional thing, and it's not a part of a regular rhythm in your marriage. And you drift far away, and it perpetuates itself. You drift far away, you fight. You fight, you don't have sex. You don't have sex, you fight. <laughs> and that just keeps, that pattern keeps going. That's, I know that's true for us. And, and let me just say this to, to some of you women. There is, there is that emotional connection that, that w- through sex can only be attained, okay? There's a connection that can only be attained. And a lot of times people, uh, women will say, well, he just wants sex, as if it's just a physical thing. Let me just say this to you. I don't think sex for men, they, they're never going to admit this to you, is all a physical thing. Here's how I know it. What happens when he tries and you deny him? What happens? <laughs> he pouts. And he gets mad. He throws a fit. I do this. So this is, I'm, um, ugh. <laughs> uh, he gets mad. Got to throw a fit. Here's why. If it was just physical, wouldn't be that big of a deal. But there's an emotional connection that only happens through sex. It can be viewed as just a physical thing. But in a weird marriage, it is viewed differently. Our sex lives have the ability to take our marriages to a level of inti- intimacy that we have never experienced before. We've never experienced before. So how do we do this? How do we cross that line? How do we go from making our sex lives an occasional convenience to being something that's deeper and intimate connection? Let me just say this. I could give you a few points. I could I could do one, two, three, and talk about it. But let me just say this. Pastor Scott is one of the pastors here on staff. He actually wrote a book called Make It Amazing. This book it talks about a lot of different areas about marriage, but what he talks about as it has to do with sex life and that whole process. This is ama- if you've never read this book, you just got to go get it. He's doing a connection group, join the connection group, whatever you have to do. But this is one of those books that is a is a as a married couple, you've got to go through together. You've got to talk about it together, and he talks all about taking it from being just something that you do to an intimate connection. So make sure they're they're out in the resource center. I don't know exactly how much they are but go get it after service. This I'm telling you, this book has the potential to change the level of intimacy in your marriage. So get that. Um, number four, number four. Normal says communication isn't worth the effort. Normal says communication isn't worth the effort. Normal says that the communication is just too hard. It's just too painful. It's only going to end in a fight, so why keep talking about it? That's what normal says. But weird says your partner in your marriage are worth the effort and the risk. They're worth the effort and the risk. Um, I don't do a lot of marriage counseling around uh, next level. Really, Pastor Scott does. If we do any, he does most of that. The reason why is I'm not good at it. So I don't do it because I'm not good at it. So don't come to me because it won't get better. So I'm not, that's not really me. But every once in a while, because I speak... I speak on a, on, a, on a weekend or people get to know me, they want me to do it. They ask me to do it specifically, and so I'll do marriage counseling. And one of the questions that I asked at the beginning is, it, well, the reason why I'm not good at it, just to be honest with you, is I talk too much. You need a counselor who will listen to you. I won't listen to you. That's why I don't, I'm not good at it. I just, I'm just waiting for my turn to talk. So, man, he's got a lucky wife. So, um, so, so, and, so in marriage counseling, one of the first questions I ask is, what is the conversation or the topic that you have made off limits in your marriage? What is the thing in your marriage that you stopped communicating about? What is the thing in your marriage that you're no longer talking about? What is the thing that got too painful? You fought every time you talked about it. She cried every time you talked about it. He yelled. You just said, you know what? We're not going to talk about it anymore. And when I ask them that question, there's usually one of four things that they say. It's, e- it's either usually money. And the way we talk about money, the way we spend our money, the way we go through that process, it's sex and our sex life and going through that, communication, how we communicate or it's sex. So one of those four, one of those four, money, sex, communication or sex. Um, It's usually one of those. The reason why I ask that question when I sit down with people and sit down with couples is because usually the area where we decide that we are no longer going to talk about identifies what is stopping our marriage from continuing to grow. And if we say, okay, this area over here I'm no longer going to talk about, we say, okay, that area is going to now stop growing. You're not going to grow anymore. And you're going to try to grow the rest of your your relationship, but because this is no longer growing, it has to grow together. And your marriage will essentially get a lid put on it as far as how deep, how far, how much it has the ability to grow based on our willingness to continue to have conversations. For uh, Leanne and I, this is finances, money. Money's the thing for us that we have a hard time talking about. We, we have argued about this more in our five and a half years of marriage than we've argued about anything, just to be honest with you. This is the thing uh, that if we're going to fight, we're going to fight about money. And the reason why is she saves it, and I like to spend it. <laughs> she wants to make sure we keep it. I want to make sure um, it goes away. For us, um, that one of the, even, even one of the things uh, that we that we have gone back and forth on is we do, um, we do our system where basically whatever we have to pay with outside of automatic payments online, we've tried to do at different times envelope system where we put cash into those envelopes. So if we have you know, 300 or $400, I don't know how much, a month to buy for groceries, we use that cash, and once that cash is gone, we just live on what else we have. Because here's, here's our philosophy as far as managing money, and, and you may want to write this down, This is, we don't want to spend more than we have. Write that, I need to write that down, that's good. Don't (laughs) spend more than you have. Wow, that's weird. So we try not to spend more than we have. So one of the things that we do is we give ourselves a little bit of miscellaneous cash. That basically we know that different times, and you know, if you're at Starbucks or different times you're going to hang out with somebody, you're going to go see a movie, we give each other a little bit of miscellaneous cash. Well, for me... Every time I have cash, I feel like God speaks to me. It's very frustrating. I don't have any cash on me, so don't talk to me afterwards. But every time I feel like I have cash on me, I feel like God's like, or and maybe it's not God, maybe it's just me. I'll give, the, I'll give you that. Where I'm like, give that guy money. Give that lady money. So I'm that weird dude in Walmart who's like, hey, I have $18, and I feel like God told me to give it. I'm sorry. This is weird. I know. See you later. <laughs> like, I'm that guy. Like, I'm that. And I come home, and I'm like, hey, baby, I need more cash. She's like, what do you mean you need more cash? I gave you cash. Yeah, but I gave it away. Well, you gave away your cash. Yeah, I mean, ki- I mean, yeah, but it really, I mean, once I give it away, that's more offering. So that's, <laughs> that's more from another envelope. But so, so I like, I should get more cash, right? I mean, I need to, this is like, I need to be reimbursed by the offering envelope <laughs> for the cash that I gave away because I gave it away to somebody, right? That's how it works. Like, and we've just gone back and forth to this, again, I don't have cash on me, because she has now just tried to figure out other ways to make sure that I'm not just randomly giving money away. So that's one of those things that we've just gone back and forth on. But for the last five and a half years, just to be honest with you, this has been the thing that we've, we've really bumped up against and had a hard time talking about. And there have been tears, and there have been frustrations, and we've gone through it. And only in the last four or five months, to be honest with you, if we, do I feel like we actually have a system that really, really, really works for us to manage and talk about our finances. Five years we've been talking about it. And it would have been very, very easy for us to go, you know what, forget it, forget it. We're not gonna talk about it anymore. Every time I bring it up, she doesn't like it. Every time she brings it up, we get into it. Every time we talk about it, it doesn't work. We're just not gonna bring it up anymore. It would have been very easy. But for us, we just kept talking about it We kept talking about it. We found some people around us who knew what they were talking about, and we asked them questions. We read books about our finances. We went through it till now. I feel like we're in a good place with our finances. And the reason why this has been so helpful for us is because now we're at a place where we didn't allow a very awkward and potentially hard topic to stop us in our tracks. And for us, and for all of us here, If we stop talking about an issue and call it off-limits, it has the ability to stop our marriage in our tracks. So let me ask you this. What is that topic for you in your marriage? What is that topic that you have called off-limits that you just don't talk about anymore? What's that thing that's very, very painful that if you bring it up, she's going to cry? If you bring it up, he's going to yell? What is that topic in your marriage? My challenge to you is this week, engage that again. Go to a public restaurant and talk about it, okay? <laughs> public restaurant, I'm telling you. That's, if, if you're single and you're dating somebody, you want to break up with them? Fridays. <laughs> go to Fridays. She's not going to go crazy on you. You're good. So go to and, and talk about it in an environment that is a safe, <laughs> a safe environment for you to go to and have the conversation and say, hey, I think we put a lid on our relationship. I don't feel like we're growing right now. I think it's because we don't talk about this anymore. I think we need to begin to engage us. I know it's hard. We'll go find some people. We'll go read some books. We'll do what it takes, but we have to keep talking about this topic. Number five, number five. Oh, well, let me just say this on a communication level. If you're married, one of the things that has helped my wife and I very well is that about every six weeks when we go out, um, we ask, we do an exercise, and it's, here's the exercise. What's one good thing I'm doing right now What's one thing that I need to work on? What's one good thing I need? I'm doing right now. What's one thing that I need to work on? The reason why this has been so helpful for us, it provides consistent maintenance in our marriage, and has been extremely helpful for us in our marriage. Number five. Number five. Normal says everything else is more urgent than your marriage. Normal says everything else is more urgent than your marriage. But weird says that marriage is the foundation for. Everything else. Weird says, uh, weird says that your marriage is a foundation for everything else. Um, I said I'm not a very good counselor and I don't do it a lot. Um, part of the reason is because there was a time as, as a pastor that I tried to be a good counselor. Because people were asking, and I said, yeah, I'm a pastor. And I had this feeling that because I'm a pastor, I had to be a good counselor. And so I read some books on it. I talked to some different counselors about it. I tried to be that guy. I tried to sit down and have the conversation. I'm like, don't talk, Mike. Don't talk, Mike. Don't talk, Mike. Listen, listen. Like, I had that feeling of, okay, you've got to pay attention. You've got to do that. And so, I, so like, I, I honestly, I tried to be a good counselor. And during that time that I tried to be really, really good at the things that I wasn't very good at, all of the things that I actually was good at, I just let float, and I just let them coast, and I focused on the things that didn't really make sense for me to pay attention to, and the thing that I was good at, I let coast, and I think a lot of times, this is what we do in our marriage, that we start off in marriage, and everyone who starts off in marriage starts off strong. We all start off, and we stand at the altar, and we look at our spouse, and we think we're going to redefine what love is, like we're going to show the world they're gonna look at us. They're gonna ask us to write books. They are gonna be so impressed with the way that we love each other. It's gonna be awesome. Like well, that's kind of the way that we view the way that we view it. And so we focus. We, we sort of let that very very strong thing called our marriage coast, and we don't work on it. We don't pay attention to it. We don't make sure that we're focusing on it. And we focus on our kids and their sports and their homework and our jobs and our lives and our friends. Well, our marriage has no attention to it. Has no attention to it. And then we go a few years later, and we, and, and we go a few years living that way and not focusing on our marriage but focusing on everything else. And a few years go by, and we wonder why our marriages are a mess. We wonder why they're a wreck. Because we haven't been focusing in our marriage. And this is true in your job, and this is true in my job. If we were to focus on the things we were really, 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 really good at, we would be a really good employee. And if we in our marriage, if we were to focus on our marriage and make sure that is strong, the other areas of our life will be strong. The other area, you, I'm telling you, the best gift you can give your kids is to have a really, 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 really good marriage. It's, at certain times, neglect them or ignore them or give a babysitter, give them to a babysitter so that we can focus on our marriage. And if your marriage is awesome, your parenting is going to be better. And if your marriage is great... Your job is going to be better. And if we can, ma- we can focus on our marriage, that can so much become a focus and a foundation for other areas in our life. And so what we have to do is we have to turn our focus away from the other things so that we can focus on our marriage and be intentional. How do you do that? Four ways. There are four ways um, that I just wrote down. Um, how, do we, how do we put each other after God First, how do we put each other after God first? The first is focus on your marriage. Focus on your marriage. Say no. Yeah, this means you have to say no to some things. Um, you have to uh, make sure that you, you maybe stop doing some things. You be strategic about building a relationship with your spouse. Be intentional. Make a plan about a relationship with your spouse. The second one is go on date nights. Go on date nights, either weekly or bi weekly. Go on date nights. Um, make sure when you go on a date night, you talk. Okay, don't just go to a movie. Go to a movie after, but go to dinner first, have a conversation, and talk. Sometimes, not about the kids. Sometimes, not about your job. Well, what else are we going to talk about? Listen, here's what I know. Your life isn't made up completely of your kids and your job, right? There are deeper passions, desires, thoughts, feelings that are in there. And a lot of times, we go on a date and we talk all about our kids, and our focus isn't really on our marriage, but it's still on our kids. Say, tonight, we're not talking about the kids. We're just going to focus on our marriage. We're going to ask what the new things are, what God is challenging us with, what are some of the struggles that we're having, what are some of the thoughts that we're going through. We're going to have bigger conversations in a date night. The third thing is take a vacation together without the kids, without the kids, okay? Even if it's just a night away. And the common excuses, a couple common excuses, I don't know if I can leave my kid. They're good, okay? They can handle it. They're resilient. Leave them. One night's not going to do anything. They'll be more happy without you for that night than they would be with you. Just leave them. I'm telling you. The other excuse is, we don't have any any family here. We don't have anybody to watch them, okay? Join a connection group, okay? (laughs) Get to know someone, and after about three weeks, look at them and go, hey... Would you guys ever, would you ever come over to our house and hang out? With, or, you know, I let our kids go over to your house. I'm telling you, this is what it's about. And then two weeks later, do it for them. I'm telling you, that's why we get in community. It's to live life together and figure some of this stuff out. Take a vacation together. Plan some time alone together. It, that, that even a night, but a night or two, that would do so much for your relationship. It just gets time away to focus only on Our marriages. And then number four, grow together. Grow together. Get in a connection group. um, Get into Pastor Scott's connection group. Read his book. Go through a book together. Just decide today that we're not going to allow our marriage to stay where it is. It has to grow. We are going to grow together. And then finally, number six. Number six. Normal says it's him versus her. It's him versus her. Uh, Normal says that every fight is a battle to be won. Normal says in a marriage, you and your spouse should be against each other. Normal says if he doesn't agree with you, you have to win. If he wants, to, if she wants to fight, she, she this is a personal attack on you. Normal says it's him versus her, but weird says it's you versus the world. It's you versus the world. There, there is this, there is this innate thing within humans that causes us to want a battle, to win, a fight, to go after, and something that we need to really just accomplish. We need a mission, a vision, a person. We need something to attack. There's something built inside of us that God has put inside of us to say we need to go out and actually accomplish something. And if in our marriages... There is not something outside of our marriage that is big that we're trying to solve, that we're trying to accomplish, we're trying to attack. There's not a disease that we're focusing on helping to be a part of solving. There's not uh, the ministries downtown, the things we're doing downtown that we're not going to be a part of or, or investing in the lives. If there's not something bigger than ourselves that we're investing in and fighting against, we look inward into our marriage and fight each other. And if there isn't anything outside of our family that we're fighting, we'll look inside of our family and fight each other. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12, it says, Two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls down and has no one to help them up. It is better together. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. Come on, guys, they will keep warm. That's right. Um, but how can keep warm? <laughs> how can one keep warm alone? Though they may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands—you, your spouse, and God—of three strands is not quickly broken. In marriage, we are better together. And I believe that you would be here today because I think, if anything, God wants you to walk away with the idea that he has a big plan for your marriage. And he doesn't want your marriage to be okay. He wants it to be amazing. He doesn't want your marriage to just go through, the, th- through just the rhythm and cycle of life, and 20 years from now you look across the table and not even know who your spouse is. He doesn't want that. I believe you're here today because God would say to you, he wants your marriage to be amazing and go to a level that you can't even imagine. That He has a plan for you, He has a desire for you, He has a mission. God wants your marriage to be strong. That there is a whole nother generation of people that are coming up right now who are just so off base about what marriage should be. And God wants to use us in our marriages to go out there and show them that, you know, normal doesn't have to be the only way. There is a weird way to live our lives and be in marriage that we can actually be in love in 10 years, in 15 years, in 20 years, and be best friends and have our kids. And we all go after a mission together. Things are working. That is God's desire for our marriages. God wants it to be weird. So here's what I'm going to have you do. I'm going to have everybody just close your eyes. And if you're sitting next to your spouse, even if you're not, and you're here today and you're determining, you know what? I need this. I need to be weird, but if you're here with your spouse and this is you and you're ready to cross that line and say, you know what? I'm not going to be normal anymore. We need to engage this and be weird. I just want you to take their hand. I just want you to lift their hand. Lift their hand together. God, I pray for the hands that are lifted. I pray for the marriages that are here. I pray for us, God, that you would give us the courage not to be normal anymore. I pray for the courage to go out and do some things and engage some conversations that have been off limits. I pray for the men here. You give them the courage to love their spouse. I pray for the women that you give them the courage to respect their husbands. God, I pray that you would give everyone here the courage to live a weird marriage and engage a bigger mission that you have for them. In Jesus' name, amen.